0: Show Show us us your your love, baby, and you've dialed in to the heavyweight heartbreaker, heart baby.
1: Welcome along to episode 9 of the Heavyweight Heartbreaker Hotline, and thanks once again for tuning in. This week we get the chance to speak to Joel Redman about some of his career highlights, including his stint in the WWE NXT, where he worked as Oliver Gray. We've also got a very important and very sad What's Not Hot message this week, which Brad will share. I think it's incredibly heartbreaking to think that this has happened, so please listen on to hear the full message.
0: And it's time for this week's Who's Hot and Who's Not. Each week we'll give a shout out and love to somebody we think deserves it and we'll be giving the thumbs down to someone or something that doesn't. And this week's What's Hot has to be the Stadium Stampede match from AEW's Double or Nothing pay-per-view. From the bathroom brawl to the 100-yard suplex, creative genius booking from top to bottom. If you've got five minutes, go and seek it out. It's incredible. And this week's What's Not is the sad and untimely death of Hana Kimura. This is clearly the result of cyber online bullying and these trolls need to be stopped. This is simply not acceptable in 2020 and our thoughts and prayers go out to her family and loved ones, friends from across the wrestling world and from her personal life. This has to stop now. This
1: week's guest has been wrestling for 15 years. He's most well-known for being one half of the first ever NXT Tag Champions, but he's achieved many other things in his time in wrestling. At 20 years of age, at the Coventry Sky Dome, he wrestled for Pro Wrestling Noah. He's an all-Japan Pro Wrestling semi-regular, and he's the current All-Star Wrestling Heavyweight Champion and has held that title for two years, as well as founding DWA, and being three-time Rev Pro Champion. We've got Joel Redman on the show. Welcome, Joel. Hi, guys. You, Joel?
2: Thanks for having me.
1: It's great to have you on, mate. Good morning. How, how are you time. keeping?
2: Keeping well? Yeah, very well. Yeah, keeping well. I probably wouldn't have had any time off from resting apart from the lockdown, so it's probably forced me to have some time off and rest up and get feeling a bit better. So it's, it's done. Dummy I was good. dummy going to say, right? any,
1: uh, any injuries or anything that you're sort of recovering from or...?
2: Not really. I, I kind of do a fair bit of flexibility and, and stretching and stuff to try and prevent injuries. I mean, in my younger years, I would have just done the sort of weightlifting and wrestled, and you pay a price for that when you get older, so I get a bit more clever in your training. So I have been pretty good for the last couple of years, but I was getting some pain in my elbows, maybe from just yeah. the bumps, um, and that seems to have gone away now with the rest, which is nice.
1: Yeah, I I had um, some sort of twinginess in my elbows last year, actually. I think that was all through... Uh through wrestling as we were sort of ramping up our schedule but I had some uh the equivalent of uh, acupuncture I think it's called dry needling in in the time I've really done wonders with a bit of rest so
2: yeah Yeah, like a stinging pain it's just annoying when you're trying to sleep and stuff but it seems to have gone Um, away
3: was it Joel that um put you onto the vibrating um massage thing as well wasn't it Oh the uh vibrating
1: roller, yeah that yeah, was yeah, yeah. so w- w- the first show we were on review joel last year at d w a actually um oh yeah, you whipped out your uh vibrating foam roller <laughs> <sighs> It's important not to have a long pause after that <laughs> so
2: my big black big black. <laughs> from, yeah.
1: yeah, just seeing it buzz across the floor i was I was in awe. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's a good good bit of kit there. I found it in Audi for five quid. Or yeah, something. you went have got your own one, didn't you? Yeah, either. yeah,
1: I've got one. I keep it in the book of my car now, actually.
2: Yeah, they make a big difference. They do
1: pulse. much better. Yeah. What well, what we'll try and do now is we'll try and find a supplier and sh- shell them off ourselves.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you don't want to don't upset Eddie Ryan. He's got that selling stuff to the boys backstage down to a tee. Oh, so has he? Okay, we'll get we'll off that. <laughs>
1: Fair enough. Cool. Yeah. As I say, thanks for joining us. Um, so, where, where should we start, Brad? Um, there's quite a lot here, quite a lot of achievements actually that we've just mentioned. Um, but, but maybe tell us about um, your initial sort of trainers that you had um, when when you first started out. How how old were you when you first started out, Joe?
2: Um, I think I was backyarding with chris andrews and his brother when i was 13 or 14 or something on some hay bales and put some hay bales some tires and a tarpaulin over it in a barn and then messed around in there so i wasn't but i wasn't really wrestling and then uh there wasn't any schools in devon at the time no. so i heard about a school opening up in exeter uh revolution british wrestling i think it was and then the guy who was going to open it up pulled out last minute so i sort of opened it up myself and Brought wrestlers down to teach us in the in the leisure centre here in Exeter. Cool. Um, I think we had just trying to think who we had first. thing. Andy Simmons was probably the first person to come down, uh, and then a guy called Sammy Ray who came down quite a lot. And then sort of looks after me that year when I went on the camps. You know, I just went on the camps as a sort of ref, and you know, like you should do as a sort of almost not be really a dog's body, but sort of carrying the bags. Yeah. And, stuff. and uh, Sammy Ray, Sammy Ray kind of looked after me there, which was nice of him, uh, and then. UK kid, UK kid came down he started his own school in Portsmouth and then we would drive from Exeter to Portsmouth to train on a Saturday so it was a three hour drive there, three hours back put the ring up, wrestle for a few hours come back again yeah, a
1: solid commitment. Um, yeah. That's yeah we, we've spoken in previous episodes about, you know back in that time there not being that many schools and like you say, there, there was none down in Devon per se, but it's really interesting to hear that you've um, you took it slightly differently i.e. that you sort of set up a A venue and a hall but you you actually then brought in guys to teach you rather than necessarily going to an establishment
2: Yeah well we just had the mats in the centre but you know I think learning on mats is the best way to start anyway and uh, it was the only way to be a wrestler, there wasn't any schools I think we went to the FWA Academy for a weekend camp, a bit before that you know but we couldn't go up there all the time to train and then when we met the UK kid he kind of persuaded us to start driving up to Portsmouth so obviously we should have done but I think, you know, it's nice to have a lot of schools in the country now, but it is a bit easy to be a wrestler, and sometimes it's good to have, make it a bit harder for people. shows who wants it and who doesn't want it. There was one guy who trained with us in Portsmouth who came from Penzance, and he'd get the train from Penzance to Exeter, and then sit in the car from Exeter to Portsmouth, wow. and then do the same thing back, which is just crazy. It's about 12 hours. Hour <laughs> but, but, you know, it just it shows a dedication, really.
3: And you were... Um... I understand just before this all started, you were looking at opening your own
2: training school now? Yeah, I will be opening it up as soon as we get out of the lockdown. Uh, that'll be in Salisbury. Um, I don't know, there's some schools around the area, there's a good school just down the road, Jay Knox, Fight Star Pro Wrestling. But I just think there's a space there and, you know, I sort of take a hit class for the guy who owns the gym once a week and he gives me a room for, for sort of free so I don't pay any rent, so yeah. it's kind of a no no-loss situation and... You know, even if I just get a couple of good trainees and just help them get out on the scene, you know, and that's going to be
1: uh under the all star wrestling banner, isn't it? All Star Wrestling South,
2: it is, yeah. Yeah, I spoke to Brian about it, and you know, Brian getting a bit older now, and obviously, it could be any day that all star kind of closes its doors, and it's just nice to keep that name going, really. And he's got some very good venues down this way. Um, Alder Shot, he runs Salisbury twice a year, City Hall, which is a nice big venue. So it's just, it's quite a bit of value, that name in this area, because there's a lot of shows happening. Uh, and obviously, it's All-Stars, my home company. So it's just good to have that name attached and to it. And it's coming up to the 50th year anniversary, is it? Or is it? It is, the, fifth, it is yeah. the 50th year. So he's done 50 years. That's why there's a lot of speculation this could be his last year, but he doesn't seem to be slowing yeah. down whenever I, whenever I speak to him. He just wants to keep going. Uh, so I it? mean, that's, that's amazing, isn't it?
1: 50 years, it's longest in Europe.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, by a long way. It's one of the longest yeah. in the world. He doesn't get the credit he deserves, you know, for that, really. He's such an influential promoter. And, you know, you talk about RevPro and ICW and Progress. and you know, They are great companies. and They definitely exposed the business to a different yeah. market. But if it wasn't for Brian doing 50 years, there wouldn't really be a scene in this country. And the 90s, you know, I, I wasn't wrestling in the 90s, obviously, but I heard it was a hard period and Brian kept it going really. Yeah.
1: And um I can imagine like well, with with this lockdown obviously summer camps would be pretty much non existent, um, which is gutting. Yeah. Um you mentioned about starting on the camps. Um so yeah. tell us how long you've been working for sort of All Star now in terms of, you know, you personally.
2: Well I did do a few shows for All Star before I went to America, but it was very um sporadic. And we just sort of be called in last minute if they needed a couple of bodies to do Bognor Regis or, yeah, I was living in Portsmouth at the time, so that sort of area. Oh, Mindhead, I used to do Mindhead quite a lot. And then when I came back, Brian had called me and sort of offered me the full-time gig and I came back from uh, the States and I'd always wanted to be a full-time with All-Star, so it was perfect, perfect time to do it. And that was about six years ago. And what sort of schedule would you have been following with,
1: with a full-time sort of gig with All-Star? How many, how many shows would you be doing a week? sort
2: of in season as it were. That was was busy-ish, but I was sort of put on the Butlins team, um, which were the bigger shows, you know, so that was the team that I was on all the time. And the Butlins run would have been six shows a week, which isn't as many as the Havens, but the drives are are pretty crazy because you've got Bogner, Regis, Minehead and Skegness. So it's kind of three different corners of the country. So you'd be doing a lot of of hours behind the wheel um, and I was sort of one of the one of the wheelmen really in the beast, so I do quite a lot of the driving. So we'd wrestle in Minehead, afternoon show. Maybe we'd finish about five o'clock and we'd drive to Skegness, which is about five or six hour drive. Um, get there late to the digs, get some sleep, get up, wrestle the next day, drive to Bogner Regis you know, which is another four six hour drive. So it's a it's a hard schedule in terms of travelling. Um I've done a few of the Haven runs as well. I did the North Wales run. That's ten shows in a week. That's the most sort of shows. Um, but they're all close by, so you're not doing too much time in the car. And you, you both know from experience, I'm sure that wrestlers' bodies are more worn down from sitting in the car than taking bumps. It's the, it's the travelling that kills.
3: Definitely, you There was uh,
2: when I when I started, Phil Powers said to me. I remember it's always stuck with me for my career is that we get paid to travel, we don't get paid to wrestle. <laughs> you know, we all wrestle for free. It's the travelling that you're getting paid for, and I always think that when I'm doing drives up to the north or something and you're on your own in the car and you don't really want to be driving for five hours. You just think, well, I'm I'm getting paid here to drive, not to, to wrestle. You, you spend a uh, hell of a lot more time, yeah, like, say, on the
1: road than you do in the ring. I mean, you could be wrestling, what, 10 minutes, 15 minutes?
3: Um, yeah. For a six-hour yeah. drive. yeah. But that's why we started tag team wrestling, because we could share the drive that way, mate.
2: <laughs> no, exactly. and You get some good times on the road and it's it's one of those that's why I always try and think that the young wrestlers get in more of these cars because you know I learned loads yeah. about the job from the travelling and from being around the wrestlers and just hearing them talk to each other you know and you kind of get an idea of how to do things and how to wrestle properly and there should be more young wrestlers trying to do that yeah I mean
1: we, um, we we've driven uh, Johnny Storm around for a couple of years now and um, there's some of the stuff that he's imparted on us you know we all We'll always yeah, remember. I, I even then went as far as adopting him as my son and um,
2: getting him his own high chair for the back seat. But, um... Yeah, well, he does need one. He's a, he's a little <laughs> lad. But you do, you do sort of create a bond with people when you do the travelling, and it's, uh, it pays off. You know, this job's... I think Norman Smiley told me in America, it's 30% what you do in the ring and 70% what you do behind the curtain. So you need to create that sort of network of, of colleagues in order to get anywhere in the business. That's where you get it from driving and traveling. Absolutely,
3: I think everyone's got um, stories on the road. Where what we have, we have a, a playlist after after a show that we put put on, and um, one of the headline songs on that is "Hello Darkness, My Old Friend" because <laughs> it can be real rough times, you know, especially uh, you know one or two AM <laughs> and you're driving home. and yeah, you just don't oh, want yeah, to be. Yeah. You wouldn't rather be there anywhere but there. But um, yeah. going back Absolutely. to the camps, we're saying that. Um, we said on previous uh, podcasts that um, they're kind of the pillar of of British wrestling. And I think it seems to be an opinion that they're dying out, but um, I think you're probably the the banner man for how important and how uh, much experience they can give you.
2: Yeah, definitely. You know, I went to the performance center for a couple of years and you know, the best training in the world, I guess if you think about the names that trained me, but then when I came back from the camps, Oh, sorry, from the performance centre, you kind of think you you sort of know it all almost. And I went straight on the camp circuit with Dino and James and Spitty and and these boys, and you realise pretty quickly that you're nowhere near their level, and that they're they're the real sort of professionals. And I've learnt more of my wrestling from working with All Star than anywhere else. You know, they've really taught me how to how to wrestle properly and not not have to plan everything A A B C in the back and be able to sort of call things off the cuff and listen to an audience and. You know, I said to a lot of people, I think if you go to a wrestling show where they're paying a ticket to watch the wrestling show, they're pretty easy to entertain those people because they're paying a ticket to watch yeah. a wrestling show. If you can wrestle in Minehead Skyline and you've got a family who are just there on a holiday and don't even like wrestling, if you can make them stop and watch your match and get invested in your match, that's a real skill I think anyway.
3: I completely agree. Um, so, me and Hugo were lucky enough to have a run last year on the campus and we learned probably more in that short time than we did probably in the four months previous working shows here and there as you say in front of wrestling fans it's a completely different beast
2: yeah of course and you learn how to work because you gonna got to wrestle multiple shows during the week it's not just wrestle a show take two weeks off it's you know do 10 shows in a week so you've got to learn how to work a little bit and prevent injuries and you know not it's not being lazy that's what people think it's being lazy that's that's what annoys me People think it's a sort of lazy style of wrestling. It's not lazy, it's just knowing what works for your audience. And any good professional wrestler should be able to cater their style for what the audience Definitely, is.
3: Definitely. I feel um, as I think camps makes you work smart in the sense that um, sometimes you can watch two guys put on a five star match, but they forget that they're being watched by 100 people. But I think the camps really brings it back to the fact that you need to engage your audience and, as you say, work to what who who's actually. Watching the product more than just putting our show on. That maybe you and the other guy across the other yeah. side of the ring want to see, you know,
2: yeah, for sure. Darren, Darren Walsh or Funder uh, is, is known as wrestling name. When I started for All Star, sort of told me you need to really spoon feed them wrestling. They're not they're not wrestling fans. People that come to the holiday camps they don't they don't know what these moves are. So you've really got to sort of it is like spoon feeding them what the moves are and what happens when you do a certain move. And that's always a good way of looking at it. Telling stories. Yeah, definitely.
3: Um, so, obviously, All-Star and the camps and, and working the British scenes is a big big pillar of your your history. Um, how did the... Um, moving forward a bit, how did the WWE NXT um, come about? Was that through tryout? Or were you, you spotted? Or...
2: Uh, I, I was running the, the DWA at the time and I took a load of the boys to Nottingham, I think it was, for a, a big training convention thing that Alex Sheahan organised. And Drew McDonald, who was a talent scout, was there. Uh, he just said that he'd been sort of looking for me and trying to get in touch with me because they WWE sort of wanted to have a look at me at a tryout. So uh, I filled in the forms online and then went up to me. And Yeston Reese went up to Manchester for a tryout, which didn't go very well. But they invited me back to another one in London at the O2. And then uh, they offered me a job. Nice.
3: What year was this? About 2012 sort of time?
2: I think 2012. Yeah, 2012, I think it was. Yeah, it took me a little while to get out to America after I'd signed, and it took me nine months to get out there, but yeah, I think it was 2012, 2011. What was that, visa issue or something? Or uh, Yeah, it was a visa issue. It's just visa issues, different things you've got to jump through. To no, okay, out. okay.
1: So what, why why do you think your first tryout didn't go to plan or,
2: or didn't go so well? It was matches. It was like you had to put together a little match and get in there and, yeah. wrestle and me and, Yestin, me and Yestin are very good friends and, you know, we sort of grown up in the business together. So we went together, you know, and Yestin's a fantastic wrestler, but we're not a particularly good clash. We're a bit of a clash of styles and doesn't, it's never a, a great match. You know, I wouldn't, I'm not in any way knocking Yestin's performance. He's, he's a brilliant wrestler, but we just don't gel that well yeah. in the ring. And it's probably the wrong match to put on for them. Um, and then the next tryout I went to was literally just tag in, tag out, wrestle there wasn't any planning of matches. It was just get in there and wrestle and we want to see some intensity and some yeah. aggression. Uh, and at the time, I was sort of really working on that intense style and it just, it fitted me. I was just very lucky. Uh, there was a girl in there who hadn't had a lot of experience and there's a lot of boys sort of just out-wrestling her, you know, making her look rubbish and I was trying to sort of feed for her and, and make it, it wasn't good wrestling, but make it look like a some kind of a match yeah. with her, which I think played to, played to my advantage. Yeah.
1: And was it quite Sort of intensive physically, sort of cardio
2: drills, a lot of blow up stuff, or no, no, they were completely different tryouts at this time. It was just get there, put your gear on. You know, all the wrestlers would sit around the ringside, so you'd have the Undertaker or Triple H, and these boys sitting around watching a bit. And you just, you just tag in, tag out, just wrestle a bit and see what you got, really. And they liked what I was doing, and then they sent Jamie Noble into the ring with me for a while, and we wrestled for a bit, and then. Pull me out the ring. They asked me what I did for a job at the time I was doing forestry work. So I just I do uh, I do forestry work for a living, sort of lumberjack work. and You know, how I grew up on the farm and stuff. And they, they sort of like that thing that helped me a bit and then offered me a job.
3: Yeah. Wow. That's, that's um, it's uh, from my understanding, obviously it's changed a little bit now because yeah. they're looking for other things like, as Hugo mentioned there, like um, uh, blowing you up and cardio drills. And It's, you know, the days of just yeah. watching two guys working in the ring and see how their work seems to be gone. Um, it seems to be a lot more focused around yeah, um, other things now. Um,
2: yeah, but I think what they're looking for now, and I could be wrong, is they don't care if you get blown up. It's just whether you put the effort in and it's how easily you can be trained, you know, if, if you're yeah. teachable, which I think is what they want to see. You know, they're, they're looking for people that they can teach. I don't think it's all about whether you're actually a super athlete. I think it's just effort you put in, but and I could be wrong. I haven't done a tryout, so I don't yeah. know.
3: So when you were so obviously you've got out to Florida and started working, was it working for F- FCW to start with, or was it straight into NXT or? Cause of, yeah. FCW. So
2: my my first day there would, was Bill Mott's first day there, so he, they had like an open tryout in America for American wrestlers. He was doing that, so we had a Perry Sasson was a trainer when I first got in there for the first week. But it wasn't as many people, you know. I think FCW maybe had twenty-five, thirty people there, you know, under yeah. contracts. Nothing like it is now. Um, but it was, it, and it was, it wasn't as glamorous, you know. It was a warehouse where they didn't want to turn the air conditioning on, so it was a Florida heat. They just rolled the shutter door <laughs> open, it was a real, real sweat box. But I like that, you know. I, I quite enjoyed that actually.
3: Bit the sawdust sort of gym fun. rather than just a nice air conditioned.
2: Yeah, it was. It was good. And then, you know, we didn't have a They've got like a strength and conditioning room now in the performance center. We didn't have that. So we'd go up to John Cena's Hard Knock South and we train there, you know, which is pretty cool. And he'd have two warehouses, one for his cars and one for this big gym with his trainer, like Rob McIntyre. And we'd go up there and do strength and conditioning up there, which was Oh really cool. nice. So
3: you were kind of there with the days when they trained. where they uh, it. You'd gone from FCW over to NXT, then you were kind of at the forefront of that, that change because obviously that was there. Yeah, um, yeah,
2: yeah, I was there right through the process.
3: Um, as you say, obviously things have maybe become a bit more professional now with the way they're training people. Remember, was there any big differences between the two or was it a seamless sort of transition between into NXT? Obviously, they made it into a, its own brand as such now, but I guess you were, as I said, there at the start of it.
2: No, not, I didn't see any difference. And, you know, there was a lot of bad talk about Bill DeMart and his training methods. And annoyingly, me, the person who wrote this letter put my name in it, which irritated me. And I messaged Bill afterwards and said, I hope you know I've got nothing to do with this. You know, I didn't in any way want to be involved with the sort of negative view of Bill's training. I found Bill a really good guy. And there were times when they blew you up hard, but that's just the way it was. You know, they want to test your cardio sometimes and you need to be blown up. Me and uh, yeah, our conditioning, was, our conditioning was real good, you know. We, we really didn't get blown up, we did everything twice. We did twice, we, we were really peak fitness, so it never really bothered me too much.
0: It's time for the tip of the week for when the tip is more than enough. And this week's tip of the week, it's going to be hot. It's going to be sunny that forecast is perfect for this coming week so grab yourself some tanning oil lather yourself up get yourself nice and oily get out in that sun and get yourself some vitamin d it's going to be good people it's going to be good so you're
3: obviously working a lot with um pack and neville around that time um was the Tag team with him. Your ideals that something they gave to you.
2: No, they just threw us together. They just threw us together last minute. The Ascension um, were meant to be in the tournament for the tag belts, and then this uh, Bram had been released from his his contract, so they didn't have a a team there for the eighth team. So they just threw us together. They obviously want to do something with Neville. You know, he's such a such a wrestler. They wanted to make a star out of him and needed to find a space for him. So it was a perfect fit, I think, to put us together.
3: So it's a good good clash of stars, I think, with you two. Um, do you still speak to him much or
2: No, I've not spoken to him at all. No. We actually uh we tagged one of my first matches when I was younger for FWA Academy, we did a six man tag and we were in the same team there, so it was quite cool to do it again. Not long after we were looking to bring us up onto the main main shows on TV and then I blew my knee out on a house show, just tore my ACL on my knee and that was the end of that.
1: Yeah, so that that must have been gutting for you. I um tore my ACL back in 2018, and that was actually a, a tryout for Will Ospreay's Young Lions program that he started up, um based out of um, the Resistance Gallery. Um, yeah, um, and it was it was a two day trial there, and it was actually during day one that I tore my ACL out. Hadn't obviously known on the day that that's what I had done. Obviously sat out. Brad's continued. Um, went to the hospital that night, didn't we, actually? Yeah. Uh, sat in A&E, obviously got it looked at and, and stuff like that. Went back for day two, both of us. Obviously, yeah. I just sat out and Set crutches. helped uh, film some of it. Um, yeah, with my crutches, with my leg up. But then found out, yeah, it was a full chair.
2: Um, how how long were you on the shelf for? With, with, with... Well, for nine, nine months, but they were protective of me there you know so they obviously paid the surgery and all the physio and rehab and stuff and yeah. i could move around pretty well but they they keep you out until you're perfect so about nine months until i was back on shows yeah but it's one of those things you know, nothing you can do about it it's just uh just the way it is you know bad luck but
1: yeah
3: is it something important. that still hampers you today or have you've like fully rehabbed from that now is it something you're always mindful of
2: no it feels great it feels really good i hurt my every knee i banged my ever knee a bit badly last year in Japan, but that seems to be okay. I landed badly on it took a, it's a doomsday device, just landed badly and then it was up in the North Islands of Japan so it was snowing, so it was very cold. So the next day it was a bit sore and stiff, but it seems to get better. Seems all right now.
1: Yeah, I must admit I don't I don't think um I've felt any difference since. Uh it just feels back to, you know, normal again. So touch wood, it's sort of stays that way. Um so obviously you, you mentioned there about working in Japan. When, when was your first tour in Japan and how, how did that all come about with uh, All Japan Pro Wrestling?
2: That was last April for Champions Carnival. Um, so I wrestled for Noah 2008 against Aoki in the opener. Uh, and then I just got an email in my junk folder on Facebook, whatever it was, 10, 11 years later from All Japan saying, would well, I come and do Champions Carnival? Uh, it was just random about the blue. And then we went from there. I did some training, sort of closed-door training with Johnny Kidd, me, uh, Kian, um, Eddie Ryan, James and Johnny Kidd just got together, did some some training. So he could teach me a few of the tricks. And then, yeah, went out there in April for Champions Carnival. Went, went very well. Ended up doing five tours last year. Wow. Would have gone back out this year for Champions Carnival, but it's cancelled. I hope to get out later in the year. Well,
3: obviously, obviously working for the WWE and uh, and, and that style, and then moving over to the All the Japan sort of harder hitting style, what's your – any big noticeable differences for you in the way they work? And...
2: No, the only thing I'd, I would advise wrestlers to do is, is to learn the British style because I go out there and I try and do the European British wrestling style, and that's what they want to see from me. I always say it to people if I do the seminars or the training – these companies aren't going to pay for your visa and pay for your flights and hotels for you to do their style of wrestling, you know? If you go out there and try and do Japanese wrestling, they've got Japanese wrestlers. They, you need to go out there and do the European style. That's why they're paying all this money to get you into that country. Yeah. It's the same, I think, with WWE. I think you need to have that European style to, you, to what you do in the ring because they're not going to pay for your visa and your flight to do American wrestling. They can get that from an American.
3: That's a very good point, actually. Never really thought of it that way.
2: Yeah, we've got a heritage. You know, I think in this country, it may have been lost a bit, but definitely in Japan, they still think we're just the the a very good mat wrestlers and they expect you to be very good at, at mat wrestling. Um which I've always enjoyed that style, you know, it's a style that I try and do anyway. So it, it fitted me quite well when I went out there. But they had me sort of teaching the young boys on my first tour and I was actually showing a lot of the wrestlers in all Japan some stuff before the show, would get in the ring and I'd showed them some little British tricks. Um, which obviously played out well to me so I had Akiyama the boss sort of sat ringside watching so it looks good when I'm showing the boys how to do certain stuff
3: definitely I know they're they're big quite hot on their tag wrestling on all Japan um, yeah. is that something you're getting involved in is it mainly singles you're working out there
2: or it's pretty much always a tag you've always got a tag or a multi-man sort of match and then sometimes you do get the singles they sort of give me exhibition singles where I'll go in for sort of 10 minutes with someone and they just want to see the British routines and it's just sort of an exhibition thing where I just tell the guy what hole to put me in and I'll do a reversal. And then they put me in another hole, do another reversal. Uh, but the audience there, you know, I really like the crowd in Japan because they, they're they very respectful. They just, they're just they very quiet, but they respect your art form. And, and you really can go in there and just do whatever you want, wrestling-wise. And they'll, they'll respect it and give it time of day. Cool. I think my last match in England was pro-wrestling chaos before I went to Japan for the Champions Carnival. I, we had a good match there. It was me and uh, Haskins and um, Dick Riley. Triple threat match. It was good. a good, hard-hitting match. But all I remember is getting heckled from the crowd that I was going bold. And you think you're putting your body on the line here and all this guy cares about is the fact I've got a bold spot. And in Japan, you've got this crowd that are quite res- respectful and just sit there and appreciate the wrestling. So it was a nice contrast.
3: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, it has, it's As we were alluding to earlier, working for the audience um, is is important, as you say. You probably get more of a buzz off working for those crowds that are actually respecting what you're doing and sitting and watching, rather than as you say, a bit more of a quote unquote quote marquee crowd that are looking for to get involved in in their own participation and making themselves stand out in the show. Um, Yeah,
2: no, hate in. A lot of them, you know, he'll write their little reviews online and stuff, and. You know, they don't know anything about wrestling. A lot of them have been people that have tried to wrestle and not been able to do it and not hack it. So get someone out. They they can write a review if they enjoyed the match or not. That's that's fine. You know, I can tell you if I enjoyed a film or not, but you can't start critiquing the the execution of stuff because they don't know how to do it themselves.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, and I think um, I think sort of today more than ever, really, in terms of the amount of sometimes sort of abuse that is given by sort of fans or or people that just, well, they, they call themselves fans, but if, if all you do is really slate people's work, are you really a fan or are you just someone that's trying
2: exactly. to express activity I think a lot of the boys are just so focused on impressing those people too. And they're not the people you need to impress. You need to impress the general audience. Yeah. You need to impress the casual fans because that's where the majority of your audience normally is. And that's where you're going to get the, the sort of future crowds in for the promoter people are so focused on getting good reviews online it's a bit weird
1: yeah and it, it's it's sad um obviously with the news of hannah kimura as well um over in japan obviously being a victim of sort of cyber bullying and mm. and, and all that sort of horrendous stuff it's um yeah it's hopefully times will change and um but uh, yeah. you're always going to have that sort of type of person yeah. out there, aren't
2: you, really? I've had lots of people, you know, my friends in the business, and they've had negative reviews from these online fans, and they get pretty worked up over it, and they really take it serious. And nine times out of ten, the guys that are getting upset about it are villains. And you say, well, you're a villain anyway. You don't want the crowds to like you. Why? you know, you're doing a good job then if they don't like you. Yeah. Well, you're doing your job then, aren't you? Surely. But so- they don't, you know see it that way
3: I think yeah one thing that's massively changed as you just alluded to there I think it's so hard um with the the dynamic of uh the villain and or a heel and a good guy babyface these days because um these smarter crowds smartier crowds will always cheer um for the guy that's popping them regardless if they're a, a quote-unquote face or or villain um but <laughs> How far? Obviously, it's easier to to work a, a hill face dynamic in front of a, a lesser smart crowd, as, as such. I mean, um, is any tips for any for any um, workers out there listening about how you personally work to a hill or face style? I know, obviously, I've I've worked you, and you obviously you're an amazing amazing worker, and and I was, I was the villain at that point. And I mean, is there any tips that you have for putting yourself over an either a hill or a villain? Um, or a baby face?
2: Um... I think you've got to keep it simple. And in my opinion, basically, the baby, you've got to work out what the audience want to see. That could be hard hitting strikes, it could be big moves, it could be flips, whatever it is. The baby face is trying to give them what they want and the heel's trying to take it away from them. So, do you see what I mean? If, if it's big moves and they want to pop for big moves, well, then the villain shouldn't be doing any big moves because he's trying to get heat. So, he's trying to take that away and trying to stop that from happening and the babyface is trying to give it to them. That's yeah. my basic way of looking at it. Yeah. You look too, many villains, to. too many villains trying to do too many cool moves, again, to get that. They think that's going to get them the good reviews online. But yeah. And the other thing that you kind of got in this country is a lot of promoters who aren't actually wrestlers. They're just fans. So they get very influenced by their their reviews online or by their mates, you know. If yeah. you need to look at someone like a Brian Dixon, who's a pure wrestling promoter, you know, he gets, he'll book you again probably based on the crowd reaction, which is how it should be. Yeah. And that's another thing with the matches. Wrestling is so subjective in how you do it. There's no particularly right or wrong way. It should be judged on crowd reaction. If you get the right crowd reaction, that was a good match. You know, whether the arm drag might have gone wrong or, you know, you might have taken a dodgy bump on something. It doesn't matter if the crowd reaction is what you were set out to do and what your promoters wanted to get from the match, then it was a success.
0: Obviously, I
3: think a lot of that, as you said earlier, was like for us, we're not huge fans of planning A, B through C, D, and E, and all the rest of it. We try to kind of keep it uh, yeah. as loose as possible because, as you say, if the crowd aren't responding to something or aren't into a particular part of the match, I'm, a, I'm of a strong belief. I'm not sure how you feel that if it's not working, if it's not getting over. There's no point of running the whole thing as you planned out. You move on to the next thing and see if that if that's what they want to see, rather than just trying to work the match that you you want to.
2: Yeah, hundred percent. And and growing up. When I sort of got introduced to American wrestling, I was a big fan of Benoit and Guerrero and Malenko and these kind of wrestlers. Yeah. So when I went to WWE, I asked them, how did these guys put their matches together? And they just said they'd call most of it off the cuff. They might have had a few high spots that were planned in the back, but a lot of it was just go out there and wrestle. And I listened to Doug Williams ever on a podcast talking about his match with Guerrero, and they didn't really plan very much. Guerrero just led him in the ring and called it in the ring. He said the same thing when he wrestled Ric Flair, it was the same, you know. So that just goes to show that all these great wrestlers that we regard as being the best ever call a lot of it off the cuff in the ring. Yeah,
1: wrestling to the audience, wrestling to what they want, and the reality yeah,
2: yeah. Nice. Like you won't, you won't get James Mason to plan the whole match with you. you know he'll go and hide somewhere because he doesn't. He's such a good wrestler, James, that he likes to just listen to the crowd and react to how they are,
3: what they want to see. No, I think that's that's always the best matches come from come from that because. You can plan something like anything in life to the nth degree, and it will never be as good as you've got in your head. Um, Of course, yeah. yeah. Happen on the fly tends to be a bit more natural.
2: And wrestling is reaction; it's just how you react to things. That's what makes you a wrestler. Just different ways of reacting to different situations.
3: As you said, you can you can give the perfect arm drag a hundred times, or learn to do something to the to the nth degree, and just be as good as. If that's not getting over or if that's not working, then sometimes there's more to wrestling than just being able to hit everything picture-perfect.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I also think that a lot of times in wrestling, if, if you're confident when you're in the ring, that comes across to the audience and it makes you appear as a better wrestler than you probably are. And to get confident, if you can get used to calling matches in the ring, it makes you a lot more confident when you go into matches that are a bit more scripted because if something goes wrong, you know you can cover it straight away. You know, so I'm so used to with All-Stars calling a lot of the matches in the ring. Now when I wrestle people on other shows, you know, I feel very relaxed and confident because I know even if it all goes wrong, I've got stuff that I can just do in there anyway and I can cover it. Yeah,
1: very, very good way of looking at it. And um, I think that will certainly give people that are listening a, a, another slant
2: on it. Yeah, well, that's why those camps are so important because the camps haven't got these online critics.
1: Yeah. They have
2: just got the casual fans. And you can try things there. You can go and do a holiday camp show. And you can just try not calling anything in the back and just doing it all in the ring. And even if it goes wrong, it doesn't really matter because they're not wrestling fans. They're not going to critique what you're doing in there.
3: Definitely. Definitely. And then, obviously, you've you've done NXT WWE. You're now moving into all Japan and pushing forward. What does the future kind of hold for, for Joel Redman?
2: well i'd like to get to nxt uk like everybody else that would be my my goal i don't know if that's going to be something that's attainable but i'll keep working towards it and see what comes you know and obviously that's all on a, everything's on a bit of a lockdown at the moment so nothing's happening but once the lockdown gets cleared we'll make some moves to try and try and get myself in there you know if go back to some tryouts or whatever needs to be done and see what happens
3: Sounds no, it's good i mean where Obviously but people've got spare time on their hands at the moment. Where's the best places they can be finding what Joel Redmond's about instagram
2: facebook twitter. yeah it's instagram and and twitter my instagram is jredmond eighty seven um twitter is n x t oliver gray uh, and I push probably take n x t off, but I've only left it on because i've got a blue tick and if I think if I take it off, I'll lose my blue tick. <laughs> it's all about n x t oliver gray yeah um they can find me there yeah but I'm not very good at social media. It's definitely my worst thing. I don't like posting stuff. I struggle to do the Instagram stories and things. But they can certainly find something on there.
3: You and me, but you're not. You're not on TikTok yet.
0: <laughs> God no! No, I'm really,
3: I'm, I'm really not good at the technology.
2: Brad's,
1: Brad's asking everyone that we uh, yeah. speak to at the moment if they're on TikTok, and it's uh, it seems to be good the news.
2: No, 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 no. It's not for me at all. I can leave that to Yes Yesin Reese can keep doing those. It's not for me. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not, not I I'm with you
1: on that one there, mate. It's not for me either. Um, but it's
2: it's a strange world now, you know, where it, it is very dependent, I think, wrestling on social media and you need to get these Instagram followers and stuff. But I, I really struggle to Phil me and Michelle going for dinner or something. I don't want people to know about that. I still believe there should be a bit of a barrier between the wrestlers and the the audience. And there Africa. should be a bit of mystique about what we do. You know.
1: Amen. Absolutely. Have you got any? Um, have you got any sort of key matches and whatnot on on YouTube that um, if, if people aren't familiar with your work that that they should go and look at?
2: Yeah, there was a match come up the other day. Someone's put online. she's me and Okada from New York Hall. It's a pretty good good match. If you want to watch that, it's a good twenty minutes. Um, I really enjoyed a match with a guy called Namora in Japan in Osaka. It's a little ten-minute match we had, um, but we just we work well. He's a he's a rugby player from Japan. And, you know, I played a lot of rugby as a kid, so we kind of clicked in the ring together. So that was a good match. Uh, another match with Suwama from that Champions Carnival got some good reviews. That's online, I think too.
0: But, yeah, there's, a, there's a,
2: a
3: lot of matches on the YouTube. Some of them
2: some of them good, some of them pretty terrible. <laughs> Worth a
3: watch. Well. I'm sure listeners will actually go out and, and see your stuff because if they're not really aware of you, I uh, personally I worked be. I worked with you in November last year and that was yeah as smooth as silk it was it was incredible and
2: yeah it was a, a double wasn't it I think I, we did the opening and I had to go up was, to yeah, yeah yeah yeah. Evolution. yeah I
3: remember that well Joel thank you ever so much for your time today and wish you all the best in lockdown and hope hope it all pans out and you'll be back on the scene like everyone else as soon as possible.
2: Yep, you too, guys. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate the closure and keep doing a good really job. appreciate it.
3: Thanks, Joel. Cheers. Cheers. Bye-bye, bye-bye. Cheers. bye Cheers. Bye.
1: Bye. That just about wraps up this week's episode. Catch us again, same time, same place, next Monday for episode 10, where we'll be speaking with a man that had a hand in helping us along when we first formed the Heavyweight Heartbreakers. He's the head coach and owner at Quality Wrestling, an academy on the south coast. It's Rishi Ghosh. Feel free to send in your questions for Rishi or your feedback from this week's show to our socials, which you can find at facebook.com forward slash heavyweightheartbreakers or on Instagram via at Hugo Bloom Pro Wrestler or at brad underscore tannin. But until then, keep smiling, be kind, and stay safe.